Praise the Lord. Thank you, Brother Mario, for uh, walking us through those, uh, keeping us connected in what's taking place across the mission. Uh, it's a blessing to be part of a, a thriving, active, uh, growing church. Amen? God is good. Um, and, and I agree with uh, what Pastor Manuel and uh, Brother Mario shared about our time of worship this morning. Can we just appreciate our worship team for leading us into the presence of God? An anointed time of, of worship. Um, I, as we were singing the song, I can't remember what, what the name of the song is, forgive me. Um, but the word of the, uh, the lyric that uh, stuck out in my heart um, was the part we were singing uh, where we were declaring, your goodness is running after me. Right? And as I was, as I was reflecting, I was just brought to tears my wife and I, as we were worshiping side by side, which rarely happens for us in the church, not because we don't like each other, but because we're usually doing something in different directions at church. And so a rare moment of, of standing together in worship, all of our ushers know what I'm talking about and the worship team knows what I'm talking about. Those who rarely get a chance to you know, be in that space together. Um, and in that moment, I was struck and I was in awe uh, with appreciation, gratitude, thanksgiving and worship uh, did you all know that the, the, the core of worship is gratitude? Uh, the core of worship is gratitude um, because if, if we're filled with the heart of thanksgiving, um, then, then it, the, the response to that thanksgiving and gratitude is to say thank you. And when you say thank you, right, you pour that out to where it should be directed. And in this case, it was directed at God. And I was reminded of that through the word of the song that we sang that said, your goodness is running after me. Um, and I, I caught an image because tomorrow is my oldest son's ninth birthday. So he'll be nine years old tomorrow. Um, and I remember, and many families can relate to this uh, because we've spoken with you and you've shared with us and we've prayed together. But I remember um, going through a time of about three years of uh, praying and asking God to bless us with a, a child um, so that we could, you know, have a family to raise in our own home. Um, and for three years, struggling uh, to become pregnant and struggling to, to have our, a child of our own. And, uh, and I remember uh, just receiving from God a, a promise that the Lord was going to bless us with children. Uh, and so anytime I see Joseph uh, walking around, running around, right, with his glasses on, jumping up and down off of the stage here at church, you know, when I think of going to play at the park and where we live in Lakewood at uh, Delval Park or San Martin Park, I, I think of moments over the pandemic and this summer where we're playing tag and he's running and chasing me and I'm like, God's goodness is running after me. Amen. Like the goodness of the Lord in answering prayer is embodied and I get a chance when I see him and think about him and celebrate his birthday, I get to say, Lord, you have been good. Lord, you have been faithful. Lord, you have provided. Lord, you fulfilled your promise. Lord, you've gone above and beyond. I asked you for a child. I didn't ask you for him, but you gave me even more than what I bargained for, right? Sometimes I'm like, Lord, can I give him back? And, and God's like, no, nope, he's, he's on your hands. And, uh, um, but he's a joy to have. And I, again, I pray for you who do Sunday school with my son, because I know that ain't easy. Because, uh, yeah. If you don't know Joseph, then basically he's, uh, he, he's got a lot to say. I, I don't know where he gets that from. Um, probably his mom. Definitely not his dad or grandfather. <laughs> All right, so today we're talking about three values that God has given us as a church our leadership, my brother, Pastor Josh, and, and the leadership team prayed over, uh, dreamt over, uh, discussed, argued over, wrestled with. What is it that we're going to say is the, the thing that drives us as a church to say, this is what we're about. This is what we want to be part of. This is who we are. This is what happens when people come and are part of our community. And, and we all know that there are a million
million different things that God does in and through this church. But if we don't have a focus, a clear missional focus as to who we are and what God's doing through us, then it's really easy for us to spread ourselves thin because there really are thousands of things that we could make a priority. Does that make sense? And so the three words that we've been teaching on, and today we're going to continue in that series as we continue to learn uh, what these values are and what it means for us to live into these values as a church are, can somebody tell me what they are without me saying them? Restore is one of them. Good. What's the another one? Equip. That's another one. Good. What's the other one? Send. All right. Everybody say restore. Restore. Pretty good. This side's louder though. Restore. There we go. You guys quiet down. I don't hear the. I'm just saying, do it, do it again. Ready? Restore. Restore. Equip. Equip. And send. send. And those are the three. I, I, I got it on the t-shirt that I'm wearing right now. It says restore, equip, send. Right? This is the t-shirt that came along with the experience of the leadership uh, development and leadership training uh, course that took place not too long ago where members of the church came together to say we want to be equipped and prepared to be part of God's work at this church and so we came and learned about these three values restore equip and send so today we're going to be focusing on that third value of send what it means to send what it means to be sent and how that fits into God's game plan particularly at Mission Ebenezer Family Church. Um, so over the last three weeks, um, I have been, last week I was here, the week before, and the week before, and the week before. So three weeks in a row, I was gone. Um, so I was not here worshiping together with um, the body of Christ here at Mission Ebenezer Family Church. But I was not just playing hooky, okay? Um, I was uh, uh, pursuing God's call on my life to go and be part of God's work in different places during those times. Um, so in the matter, I feel really blessed because I know with COVID, many of us, it's really difficult to travel like to, you know, Ralph's, let alone to another state or another country. Um, and so I had the privilege to go to one other country, Mexico. I had the privilege to go across the country to another state, Minnesota. Um, and I had the privilege of going to another state in Nevada uh, to hear about what God's doing around the world. So in the matter of about three weeks, I had the, the privilege of being part of ministries that were talking about really this third value of send. Um, so one of those experiences that I'll just relay, uh, relate to you briefly is I had a chance to go to Mexico um, to see uh, the ministry that's taking place there um, through a few different organizations, uh, uh, some of which uh, my university, Azusa Pacific University, will partner with as we send over 100 students in March during spring break to go be part of ministry and service in Ensenada. Um, so all that to say is spring break. When you think college spring break, college spring break, okay, there's a number of different things that people imagine, right? They imagine parties. They imagine the beach. They imagine Key West, Florida. They imagine other parts of Mexico. They imagine spring break has this whole kind of a connotation attached to it as to what takes place in those spaces. And uh, I'm fortunate and privileged to be part of an organization where a hundred of those college students will say, no thanks to getting drunk every night and not knowing my name and making decisions that I'll regret for decades, but instead, I want to go and use my hands and my feet to be a blessing to others all the, during that break. So they're going to leave. They're going to have classes all up until Thursday. On Friday, they're going to, they're going to drive down, and they're going to stay there until they got to come back. And the day that they come back, they get a chance to take a deep breath, and then they start classes again that following day. All that to say is that's connected to a mission and a vision that essentially says God has a purpose and a reason to use our lives. And it's not just to be as happy as we can, as comfortable as we can, getting as much as we can, and finding as much enjoyment as we can. Um, that is the message. That's the gospel of the world, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel of America, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not anti-American, but what I am is pro-Jesus, okay? And so as we talk about what it means to pursue uh, faithfulness as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to constantly critique and challenge the values of this society that are being fed to me every day by billions of dollars of marketing so that I could think that I want something. When in reality, what I want most is a relationship with Jesus. What I, what I want most is to know that I find wholeness in Christ. What I want most is, is that when that day comes, when I meet my maker, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, 
right? What I want most is, is those things as opposed to how much stuff did I get? How many experiences did I have? How happy was I on a scale of one to 10? What was my happiness meter? If that's what I'm judging my life by, then I will say no to every invitation to go and serve and sacrifice so that somebody else could be blessed in Jesus' name. Because that's a waste of my time. It's tiring. I've got to give of my resources. And, 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 and if it were up to me and there was no such thing as the Great Commission, which we will read today, then it would be so easy for me to make decisions that simply reinforce my need to make myself happy. So this value of send is this notion that there's something better than what the American dream has to offer. There's something better than what, than, than what marketing ads are telling me is going to make me happy and solve all my issues and problems. There's something better, and that something better is the presence of the Holy Spirit infilling us to the very core of our being. That causes us to recognize that no amount of money, no amount of government solutions, no amount of, 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 of anything other than simply coming before the Lord and saying, God, we need you, is going to fix and fill the urges and desires of my heart. So as part of, uh, again, that flow of weeks of having a chance to go and see God's work um, beyond Carson specifically. I had the chance to go to Nevada um, and to learn about a ministry called Convoy of Hope. And that's a ministry that we, re- that we support as a church. So whenever you give to missions um, as, as part of your missions giving, it's supporting, uh, part of that giving is going directly to this ministry called Convoy of Hope, which interestingly was founded by my mom's cousin in Springfield, Missouri. And this is a ministry that... Um, that it's, it's their work to go, and whenever disaster hits, Convoy of Hope shows up anywhere in the world. And the way that they show up is they show up with big, giant truck containers, and the containers are filled with water because when a hurricane hits or a tornado hits or an earthquake hits, then folks don't have access to uh, the, the, when the when the roads break and there's no ability for goods to come in and out of uh, uh, grocery stores and the banks are closed. It's really difficult to get goods. So they show up with water. They show up with food. They show up with clothing. And most importantly, they show up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I had a chance to listen and hear about their vision uh, and a ministry that they have launched called Feed One, which is a program to strive to uh, fight against global hunger. And I just, I I listen and I I hear the stories and I got a chance to hear the testimony of somebody who was taken in by an orphanage that that was essentially supported through Convoy of Hope. And as a result, this person was able to have an education and then to go on to get a doctoral degree. And now he's the vice president of Convoy of Hope. And he was first met in, in Calcutta, India, as somebody who was orphaned and didn't have a family. And, and missionaries came and said, we've got a home for you, we've got food for you, and we've got school for you. And now he's part of the executive leadership team of this organization. It's powerful. I think of last week at the university where I serve where we gave invitations and asked students if they wanted to be baptized and make a decision for Christ. And we had 11 students that came forward to be baptized in front of their friends. And to hear their testimonies, because just like we do here at Mission Ebenezer, and I'm excited that we have baptisms coming up here in a couple weeks, we always ask, why are you uh, choosing to be baptized? Uh, Man, asking that question... And listening to the responses does something in me that reminds me of the power of the gospel. Whenever you hear and listen to the way in which God is at work in somebody else, I heard students say things like, I have been going through a deep, dark valley in my life, and for whatever reason, ever since I stepped foot on campus this semester, God has been tugging at my heart, and I don't want to run away anymore, but I want to follow Jesus with my life. By the way, like Brother Mario said, six of those 11 weren't planning on being baptized that night, and they got in in their jeans. One of them used my towel without asking. So I gave him a hug and said, praise God for your decision. Don't ever use my stuff again. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Didn't do that. Didn't do that. Um, 
even here on campus, we recently relaunched in-person gatherings for our youth and our college students who are part of our church, and we didn't know what that was going to feel like or look like. We've been doing Zoom for quite a while, and, and it's, you know, Zoom it has its own blessings and it has its own challenges. And over the first few weeks that we've opened the doors to gather together, we've had over 60 youth and college students come and be part of the ministry that's taking place here. Quick plug, we are meeting today, 11 o'clock. There are donuts. They smell delicious. And they're waiting for us a couple, couple buildings over. So restore, equip, and send. Restore, equip, and send. I'm not going to read it, but I want to briefly remark on Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, there's a story where Jesus was going around the Galilee region, and he was teaching the gospel, and he was performing miracles. So this is early in his ministry, Mark 5. So you can kind of tell by the number that it's closer to the beginning of the book of Mark. And so in Mark 5, Jesus is doing ministry, and he's teaching the gospel. And then all of a sudden, as he's going to a certain place, there's a person who is filled with demons. And this person, because of their demon possession, was essentially excluded from society. Nobody knew what to do with him. So he could not live in his home any longer, could not be with his family. So he actually lived in a cemetery. And that's the only place that this society would allow him to live because, you know, they, they, people were like, man, this guy, he's, he's gone crazy and we don't know what to do with him. And, and, and he's filled with demons. And so he's out there on his own in a cemetery. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, that you could imagine he had probably had visits from, you know, social workers in town. They didn't have social workers back then, but the equivalent. They probably had visits from, you know, the local rabbi who could come by and maybe pray with this person. They probably had local visits with the, with the physician and somebody who knew a little something about medicine and science and uh, to no avail. And he was there in the cemetery when Jesus came by and immediately this person rec- recognized that there was a power that Jesus brought that he had never experienced or encountered before. And the story goes that Jesus essentially calls out the demons from this person's life and body and casts them out. And all of a sudden he was healed and he was in his right mind and he was himself again. And that, that, that possession that had tormented him and caused him to see things and think things and do things a particular way had left him and he was restored. Somebody say restore. He was restored by Jesus, right? Oh, he was thankful. You could just imagine uh, just living that life and feeling like you're kind of living this out-of-body experience where part of your soul knows that you're there, but you can't really get there. And many of us maybe have experienced challenges like that through through drug abuse or alcohol abuse or mental health and, and different things that cause us to not really feel ourselves. And, and so here for the first time in a long time, this man was finally able to think clearly, see clearly, speak clearly, and act clearly in that particular moment. He was excited. He was thankful. Oh, he was blessed. And so Jesus and the disciples, you know, of course, they've got work to do, right? So they've got to move, right? And so they're getting ready to go back into the boat, and they're getting ready to go to another town because the gospel needs to keep going from one place to another, right? When we look at the life of Jesus and the life of the early church, the book of Acts, we see a church on the move. Somebody say a church on the move. We don't see a church that says, okay, we found this spot. Let's just get real comfortable right here. Let's just kind of carve out this space and let's just hang right here in this spot because we found it, right? This is it. Let's just hang here. If we, if we study the movement of the church throughout the centuries over 2,000 years and in the word of God in the New Testament, we see a church on the move. And so Jesus models that and he's getting ready. He just did this great miracle, right? He just restored this person's life to him, cast out the demons, gets in the boat, and he's getting ready to, to, uh, to leave. And as Jesus gets ready uh, to, to leave in the boat with the disciples, all of a sudden the man runs up. The man who he had just healed runs up to him, and he says, um, uh, it says in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. The man who had been demon-possessed, Jesus healed him, he had restored him, and he comes and he runs up to Jesus and he's like, I don't want you to leave, Jesus. I want to go with you. I just got to know you. 
This is my first time meeting you. This is my first time. I heard about you, but this is my first time seeing you and experiencing what you can do. And man, I can tell that you are real. I can tell that, that, that everything that everybody has said about you is true, that you are able to do the impossible, that you carry the power of God, that broken people can find, find healing and wholeness and restoration, that people without a future can have a future when they inter, interact and encounter you, Jesus. You, there's something special about you, Jesus. Let me get in the boat. I mean, you could imagine, like, the Bible gives us the short version of it, right? But you could imagine he probably started trying to, you know, pro make a proposal. He's kind of like, man, I'm good at rowing. I could do the left and the right. You know, whatever you need in the boat, I can get us there from one place to another, right? Um, and, and Jesus replies to this man's request. Verse 19 says, Jesus did not let him in. Some of you are like, man, Jesus is messed up. <laughs> <laughs> right? I bet you, if you didn't know this passage before, you probably thought like Jesus would be like, yeah, man, hop in. Come on, let's go. Let's do this. Right? But Jesus was like, nah. God bless you, man, but nah. Jesus says, go home to your family. By, by, by the way, whom he probably has not interacted with in a long time. Uh, by the way, who they probably might have thought that he was dead by now because they got tired of visiting him because it broke their heart every time they saw him in the cemetery yelling and screaming and screeching. So Jesus says, go home to your family. Family. Right? And tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. Decapolis is a Greek word that simply means ten cities. So it says, so Jesus gave him an instruction. Go tell your family. And the man responded to Jesus' command by telling the whole county. He went and told everyone in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Somebody say, send. See, this gentleman wanted to be with Jesus, and Jesus said, I've already given you what you need to go and be who you need to be where you need to be. In other words, Jesus was saying, it's not just about getting your healing and then enjoying your healing for the rest of your life. It's not enough to find restoration and then to enjoy that restoration for the rest of your life. In fact, restoration takes place in our lives so that, somebody say, so that. So that God can work in us and through us to be witnesses to his name so that others who are broken, so that others who are lost, so that others who are defeated can experience the same thing that we've defeated, that we have overcome by meeting Jesus and allowing him to restore us into being who he has us, us to. So Jesus said, hey, man, good idea, but I got work for you. I got a job for you. And that job is not to row the boat with us around to these other cities. I got disciples for that. I need you to go back and tell your wife what I did for you. I need you to go and tell your children that you used to be messed up and that you met this guy named Jesus and he turned your life around and he wants to turn their life around as well. I want you to go and tell the neighbors. I want you to go and tell the neighbors, hey, remember me? It's been a while. Yeah, I got cleaned up, man. They even gave me a haircut and a shave, and I got some new threads on. And I want to tell you about somebody who I met. His name is Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for my life. Let me tell you what he could do in your life as well. And then he didn't stop there. He's like, I got to go to all other nine cities in the Decapolis and tell them about who Jesus is. In other words, Jesus says, I've saved you, and I got a job for you. Amen? Amen? Um, and, and I believe it's so important for us as the church, particularly in America, to recognize that God has given us an invitation to find healing, not for the sake of healing, but to find healing for the sake of perpetuating that healing in the lives of others as God would send us throughout our lives. In other words, it doesn't end with me. The blessing of God does not end with me. 
But oftentimes, I think our theology gets mixed up, and somehow we have this idea that the blessing ends with me. What can I get? What do I need? What are my needs? How can I be met? How can I be served? How can? And Jesus said, remember, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so if we're to follow the way of our master, Jesus, who served, even though he's the Son of God, then we too must be ready to serve. So I'm not, believe it or not, in the story of, of the, in the, his, in the history and the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am not the customer. Does that make sense? Right? I get to be somewhere in the middle. I have both received the goodness of God and there's a calling for me to be part of the giving of the goodness of God. Amen? Okay, so can we talk History. Is that all right? Um, if you want, there's some coffee in the foyer. So for those of you who are like, I'm about to go to sleep now. Pastor Kobe is going to talk history. Never really enjoyed history. Okay, that's all right. I'm going I'm to do a brief overview of this question called, what is a church? Is that all right? Because we're talking about restore, equip, sin, which are the values of what we're called to do, who we're called to be. And so in order to understand that, we have to recognize that, that we, have to, we have certain ideas about what church is. Okay? And, and, and in order for us to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to recognize that there's a particular calling that God has on us as the church. Um, so I'll, I'll just briefly, really briefly I'll go all the way back to the New Testament. In the first church, particularly the book of Acts, we can learn a lot about how the first church was established. In the first church, they did not have churches. Somebody say, what? Okay, in the first church, they met in homes. Why? Um, Because the first church essentially was a a group of believers who had, uh, many of whom were Jewish, and so they would attend synagogue regularly, and they would would have much preferred to stay connected to their synagogue families, but when they heard the news of Jesus, and they decided to confess that Jesus is Lord and Savior, many of them uh, were, in fact, disinvited to continue worshiping in those synagogues, and so they would have liked to worship in synagogues, but now they had to figure out a different place to worship, and they didn't have a whole lot of money or resources, so the only place where they could worship was in one another's homes. So the first churches met in homes, okay? Um, when they took communion, they didn't have these nice little cups and wafers when the first church took communion. In fact, the first supper, or the Lord's Supper, that we model our communion practice after was a meal that Jesus was having with his friends, Right? And the fellowship that comes with it. I had a meal with my neighbors last night. And we hung out outside and we watched the Canelo fight. If you want to judge me for watching the fight, um, go for it. <laughs> Canelo won. It was a good one. Um, but when we hung out together last night, right, we had a table out. And we had food, right? And, and we, we enjoyed each other's presence and we had laughter and conversation. And there was a sense of closeness that we're able to have, right? Especially over the pandemic. I don't know about you, but my street got really close to each other during this time. And I, we appreciated that because it's like we couldn't go a lot of places. Um, but we enjoyed fellowship. Well, that was what the first communion was like for Jesus and his disciples, his friends. So even as we take communion, I, I always... I always Uh, come and receive communion from the standpoint that this is a moment of connection community connection as we center ourselves on the person and work of christ and what he's done for us but it's we're also sitting in rows and staring at one person talking and, and 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 i'm not critiquing this moment all i'm saying is let's not forget the origins of the early church which happened around dinner tables and sofas and homes does that make sense around conversation and getting to know one another. I, I appreciate that Pastor Manuel came up and lifted up a few of our, our members in the body who are in need of support and encouragement. That's what the body of Christ is all about. Amen? 
It's about loving one another, serving one another. It's about representing this new kind of living and experience that points to the goodness of Jesus Christ, that this is a forgiving community. This is a loving community. This is a community where it doesn't matter what color of skin that, that, that surrounds your body, you are welcome into the body and family of Christ. It doesn't even matter what language you, is your primary language or what country of origin. or It doesn't even matter how you vote when voting comes around. We're the kind of church that says we're going to come together because there's one thing we have in common. It's that we look to the lordship of Jesus Christ and we love each other and we got each other's back. And when somebody has a need, we, we do the best that we can to fill that need. And I'm thankful that this can be a church like that because it connects us back to our roots, right? Our roots of the early church. So the early church, they didn't even have churches. They had homes. They gathered together. Okay, next phase of church history. So the next part would be church fathers. So at this, this period of the church fathers, we had uh, now theology, Christian theology. What do we believe? Doctrine. You know, who is Jesus? Is Jesus a man? Is he God? Is he a little bit of both? And so you have theologians, these early church fathers, who are starting to give instructions so that there could be common understanding across the churches and a connection. It was not extremely hierarchical at this point. Churches started to come into actual buildings where they gathered, but they were not yet anything as big or ornate. They were essentially communities of believers that were uh, kind of loosely strung together through different kinds of doctrine and theology. Then the emperor Constantine comes around. And when Constantine comes around, he has a, a, a conversion experience. He becomes Christian. Prior to that, the Roman Empire was pagan. And Christianity, in the early days of the Christian movement, uh, Christians were actually uh, put in the middle of arenas to be ridiculed and burned on fire and eaten by animals and forced to be gladiators because Christianity was seen as a rival or as a religion that wasn't accepted in the Roman Empire. And then the Emperor Constantine actually became a Christian, and he went in the opposite end of the spectrum and said, now everybody's a Christian. Right? Are you tracking with me so far? See, history doesn't have to be boring all the time, okay? So Constantine turns the entire Roman Empire into a Christian empire. Um, so what you can imagine is if I were worshiping to idols on Friday, Okay, and offering sacrifices to this God and that God and this goddess and that goddess and participating in this kind of ritual uh, that may involve sexual intercourse on a Saturday. And that's how I connect with my deity, according to Greco-Roman society and religions at that time. And then all of a sudden I got a memo somehow through the, the, the neighborhood, you know, bugle or whatever. Somebody comes on Monday and says, hey, everybody, we're all Christians now. Right. Um, and, and then and what ends up happening is now the Roman Empire, which is powerful, is, has a lot of money, a lot of influence, a lot of authority. In those days, it was not a democracy. So we cannot understand the Roman Empire like the United States of America, where everybody has a voice and a vote. In those days, whatever Constantine said, that goes. So, you, so what happens next? Uh, the, uh, the Holy Roman Catholic Church is now the recognized religion of the entire Roman Empire. Cathedrals are built, massive monuments, beautiful, ornate. Why? Because all of this new money just came in. They used to be these little house churches of people that were traveling as bivocational uh, ministers, right? like Paul, making tents to, pay, to make a living and provide for his family and preaching the gospel as he would go on business trips. And that was the origins of the gospel. And then all of a sudden now, when Constantine blessed or, 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 or essentially declared that Christianity is now the official religion of the Roman Empire, all of a sudden now, people were getting in line to try to get these leadership positions like bishop and cardinal and archbishop. And, and it became a status game and it turned into this situation where it was no longer a faith and it now turned into a religion. Is everybody following with me so far? You're like, how does this have to do with restore, equip, and send, Pastor Koba? And my answer to you is, I don't know, but let's see if it comes back together, okay? I'm, I'm going for it. I've got a few minutes to see if we could bring that, bring it back together. Um, so, so now there's massive churches. They're beautiful. They're amazing. Um, but about 
13, you know, about a thousand years go by, okay, and all of a sudden, uh, this gentleman named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, different brother, but also uh, an amazing uh, and, uh, and forceful leader in uh, the movement for those who pursue Christ, but a different Martin Luther, a German Martin Luther, okay, in Germany, um, said there are at least 95 things wrong with the way that church takes place in the churches that I visit, and he nailed those things uh, called the 95 Theses on a door at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. And from that point on, along with John Calvin and many others, we experienced what's called the Protestant Reformation. Somebody say Protestant Reformation. See, I love this. I'm already seeing like four people asleep right now. I love it. Yes. Yes. But there's also like 10 people who are on the edge of their seat. So I'm going to keep rolling with that, okay? So, um, so at the Protestant Reformation period, essentially uh, what they said was, hey, a thousand years have gone by. There are Catholic churches in Germany and France. Um, there are Catholic churches in Greece. But the one thing that's interesting is that when you show up to the church, they only speak Latin. And there's no Bible for the, the, the regular churchgoer to access that is not Latin. There was one Bible called Jerome's Vulgate, and it was written in Latin, and that's the only way that you could actually approach Scripture. And many of us in here can flip out our phones, we could turn on an app, and we could find the Bible in any language, and even in the English language, we already have 85 of our own English versions, just in case you don't like the other 84. That's America for you, right? There's one that's like identical to the other, but they changed one word. And so they're like, let's start a new version. So after the Protestant Reformation, right, the challenges that came along with that in terms of what the church was, the church um, had become something that maybe it was not intended to be. It became a place where you go, not a people to make a difference. Right? It, became, it, it became a place that you go to check off a box because that's what you were expected to do. It was a religion that you were born into and not one that you had to make an actual personal choice that you're going to pursue the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so what the Protestant Reformation reintroduced, because it wasn't introduced for the first time, but it was going back to the roots of the Christian church, was saying nobody is born uh, as a Christian. Okay? Um, and the reason is because the way one becomes a Christian in our Protestant belief is that one ultimately has to make a choice and say, I give my life to Christ. I'm a sinner and I can't do it on my own and I need Jesus. I surrender my life to Jesus. He is now Lord and Savior of my life. No brand new infant has the ability to do that just yet, right? Um, of course, we all know that there's scriptures that says, let the children come unto me for theirs is the kingdom of God. So we have a theology that our babies are blessed by God. And in a stage of innocence, there's grace and mercy over those babies. And as they grow older, it's important for them to hear and, and be able to respond to the invitation of the gospel. That's why we have VBS. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have youth ministry. Is because at some point, all of us have to, even me, born into a pastor's home. And, and I'm, I'm not just a PK, but I'm a PK of a PK, right? Who, and then on the other side of an MK. And some of you are like, that's a lot of letters. All that to say, it doesn't matter how many missionaries and pastors were in my family. If there wasn't a moment in my life where I say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need you. I want to follow you. Then that, that faith does not get uh, transmitted through my generation unless I make a volitional choice to follow Jesus. Amen. So out of the Reformation period, 1500, the year 1500, so you know, over 500 years ago, on, all of a sudden, churches got smaller again. They weren't these massive cathedrals, right? They were smaller churches in smaller communities. Some continued to build big churches, but most of them wanted to emphasize things like discipleship. Not just show up to a mass and listen to a priest share a sermon, but actually talk about your faith with small groups and, and be discipled individually, one to another, so that we could learn and model the way of Christ. And so that was reintroduced through the Protestant Reformation. And then I'm going to fast forward now to the American church. All right, America's fairly young. Many of us are aware of that. Some of us aren't. 
um, established as a country in 1776. So again, not that long ago in the grand scheme of history, a, a baby nation, so to speak. And one of the things about our nation is uh, we love our independence. We love our individualism. Uh, we love our voice and representation. We love our democracy, right? We love our, I'm going to live my life how I want to, and nobody's going to tell me I can't, except for when they take taxes out of my check. And even still, some of us find ways to work without having to do that. And if you do that, be careful, because it'll come back. But for the most part, we, we live in a country that essentially values the individual, right? Values choice, um, values destiny and what I'm going to do. And you can't tell me what I'm going to do, when I'm going to do it, how I'm going to do it, right? We are, we are a, a country that values these things. We have this thing called the American dream, right, in the country, uh, which is if you work hard enough and you have the right opportunities, then you can, you can be and do and get whatever you want to be and do and get. Everybody following me so far? And oftentimes what we do within the church is we just slap God on that and then keep rolling. I'm going to believe the American dream that we could do and be and get whatever it is that we want. And guess what? Jesus is going to help me get there. And that's what we have believed and bought. And if that's the case, why would I ever want to go serve somebody? If the whole purpose is for me to allow God to bless me so that I could be and do and get whatever I want. It doesn't make sense to send. It doesn't make sense to be sent. It doesn't make sense to serve if all we've done is slap God on top of the American dream. So this is not my way to say don't go to college and, and make money. No, make plenty of it, okay, and do good things with it. Amen? Okay, go and be successful and give honor and glory to God for that success and make sure 10 other people are successful as a result of your success, right? Uh, go and buy a house, buy five of them, give one away and uh, give three to your family and, and allow God to bless your family. That's okay. This is not me preaching a sermon that says there's something wrong with working hard. There's something wrong with earning. All I'm saying is let's not make that our God. Let's not make that the reason why we are church. Amen? So what is church? What is church then? We've talked about what it was throughout the establishment of the state religion and post-Constantine Roman Catholic Church. We've talked about the early church, the house church movement. We've talked about the Reformation Church. We've talked a little bit about the American church over the last couple hundred years. And here we are, 2021, trying to figure out what it means to be the church today where God has called us according to God's purposes. And we believe restore, equip, send, encapsulates the invitation that God gives us to be the church for today. To be the church for LA. Um, church is not merely a social club, right? It's not merely a place where we go to make friends and feel safe and tell stories and hang out with people that look like us and talk like us and think like us. Some churches are built and designed for a particular ethnicity. Some churches are built and designed for a particular political party. Some churches are built and designed for a particular kind of socioeconomic reality, poor churches and rich churches and in-between churches. And we want to be the kind of church that says, Lord, we don't want to be any of those things. We just want to be faithful to who you've called us to right here in this very spot. So this isn't a social club, but do we meet people we love? Absolutely. Um, do we enjoy community? Absolutely. But the question I always like to ask is, for what? Why? So that we could all just be happy and enjoy being together and coming into these walls and finding safety from the craziness of the world, guess what? That's one of the names for this place, sanctuary. It is a sanctuary. We do find peace. We do find safety. We do find refuge. But guess what? The church isn't only sanctuary. Sometimes the church is hospital. Sometimes the church is a place where we and others come to be healed, right? Maybe through worship, maybe through fellowship, 
Maybe through praying. Maybe, maybe you lay hands on somebody and they're physically healed or emotionally healed or spiritually healed. So the, yes, the church can be a sanctuary. The church can also be a hospital. Guess what? The church is also a school. Why? Because we come to learn the way of Jesus. Right? We teach the way of Jesus. We study the way of Jesus. We talk about the way of Jesus. We argue about the way of Jesus. Sanctuary, hospital, school. Man, we're, we're in this thing called spiritual warfare. The, the, the house of God, the church, is a place where we could come for basic training to learn how to be a warrior in the army of God. We learn how to put on the armor of God. We learn how to use the armor of God. We learn how to, to fall in rank and figure out where we fall in so that we could stand against the tactics of the enemy. The church is a place where we are preparing for war and battle. Not against people. The Bible tells us clearly in Ephesians, it's not against people, right? It's against the enemy. So do you understand, as I ask this question, what is church? Different churches have a model of what they are, and they base their ministries and philosophy around that model. And what I would say is God has called us to be a church that values these three things. Restore. In other words, we're a place where we find healing. And then we offer others to experience and receive healing. It's a place where we are equipped, where we are trained, where we train one another, where we train others. Why? Because God has work for us to do. And then the church is a place where we are sent, right? We spend more time, except for like the full-time pastors of this church. <laughs> the majority of us spend more of our time somewhere else than we do here. We spend time at work. We spend time at school. We spend time at home. We spend time in, in the neighborhood, in parks. We spend time in the marketplace. We are sent, by God into those spaces. We, we, in some ways, you can kind of imagine church as us, like the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, asking Jesus, Jesus, can we, can we just go with you? Can we just hang out with you in the boat? Is it cool if I just tag along with you? That's kind of like what it would be like if all we did was come here and we spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week in this sanctuary praying. Some of you would be like, that would be the ideal. That would be the epitome of what it means to follow Jesus is if I had just had my Bible open and from Monday through Sunday, I'm just reading my Bible and praying and in the church and singing worship. And what I would say is if you did that, you would be missing the point of what God has called you to do. Why? Because of send. Because we come here to receive, we come here to be trained, we come here to be sent. Amen? We come here to recharge and to learn so that as we leave this space, we are able in every conversation to represent who Jesus has called us to be to the lost and broken and the hurting and those who right now don't know what the gospel is, the good news of Jesus Christ, to those who don't have an experience of, of the goodness and the grace of God showering over them and flooding their lives, to those right now who are wandering, looking for answers in life and trying different things and maybe even wondering if they should even live and maybe they should make that decision this week for those who are lost and in that space God has called and equipped his church the saints of Jesus Christ to go and be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever he sends us out of this space there almost should be like a, you know when you walk out of the doorpost from the sanctuary like don't do this because then the maintenance team will be really mad at me for saying this, but like you should like slap the doorpost on the way out because this is where we get our game plan and we head out because God's got a job for us to do at the schools where we go to school, at the places where we work, in our neighborhoods, in our families, under our own roof, under the roofs of those that we love, in our friends' lives. God has work for us to do and that work is to be witnesses. Witnesses, the Great Commission, I'm going to read it in the message version, the message version, the message version. Uh, I'm going to read it there because it just, it, it, it kind of lands a little differently. Um, and, and it allows us to think about this, this commission that Jesus gave his disciples. I love it. Jesus didn't die on the cross, get up on the third day, 
reappeared to his disciples, bring them all together. And he didn't say to them, hey guys, I'm back from the dead and I'm getting ready to ascend into heaven. So from this point on, I just want you guys to stay as close as you can to each other and remember all the things that I said and did and just like make each other happy, okay? That's what I'm, that's what I'm gonna tell you. To, Jesus didn't say that. Let me tell you what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28. It says, meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshiped him. Some though held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and he gave his charge. God authorized me and commanded me to commission you to go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then instruct them in the practice of all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up until the very end of the age. Church, that's, what's, that's called the great commission of Jesus. He says, go and make disciples of every people, every nation. He gave them instructions. He didn't tell them, hang out here in Jerusalem and stay close. He said, get out of here. Go tell people about what I've done for you. Right, go and teach them. Go and train them. Go and baptize them. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to read it, but in the book of Acts 1, we're reminded that Jesus promised them that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to equip you so that you can be my witnesses. Witnesses simply mean, if you know, just think about it from a legal perspective. A witness is somebody who either saw or experienced something that happened. A witness is either somebody who saw or experienced something that happened. So when God calls us to be his witnesses, he says, I'm going to fill you and baptize you with the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses so that those who have not filled and experienced and been baptized by me can experience that in the name of Jesus. You will be my witnesses. Where? Here in Jerusalem. Where else? In Judea. Where else? Over there in Samaria. Where else? To the ends of the earth. This is the invitation that we have, church, is to be part of this bigger picture understanding of what it means to be the church. We come here, we are restored. We come here, we are equipped. We come here, we are sent. Amen? And I believe that God is already doing that. We'll continue to do that in even greater ways as we lean into um, these three extremely significant values of the church. Amen. I'm going to invite you church for those who are able to please stand with me.